Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending July 1st, 2023. This week, Paramount goes full Zaslav. You never go full Zaslav. I'm Kim Hollis, who cannot possibly write all the story ideas David gives her. Leave me alone. You're going to have like 30 years after I'm dead to write all this stuff. It's plenty of time. (laughs) (laughs) With me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer, entering the forbidden door. Where I find money in the bank for some reason. So that's kind of disappointing. Ooh, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Bride, streaming media analyst, and someone who would totally name a dog, Indiana. What Kim takes from that is she should take me to PetSmart. I was going to say, does that mean we can go get a dog? (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who is still not a member of the Academy. Somehow that's also David Zaslav's fault. (laughs) There's a lot of news this week, so let's get right to it. First up is the cable channel Turner Classic Movies. After the announcement last week that David Zaslav's Warner Brothers Discovery would be bringing their budget cuts to TCM, there was panic in Hollywood. Where are we now? As regular listeners will recall, after the news broke that TCM was cutting executives at the top, powerhouse filmmakers Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson called Zaslav to voice their concerns. Now we see the results. TCM is shutting down in the UK. But on the bright side, Spielberg, Scorsese, and Anderson have committed to volunteering at TCM for free to help guide the cable channel. So in the end, Zaslav got everything he wanted and free labor from some of the top creators in Hollywood. It's win-win. At the end of the day, it's not actually running a business he loves. It's the star f***ing. This did not turn out the way anyone expected because we all knew this was an easy win for Zaslav if he just shut up and said, you know what, I'll keep a lot of this. He has decided to shut up and keep some of the people he said he was laying off, but he's still shutting it down in the United Kingdom. We know how this is going to end. It's not like America's going to have this indefinitely when England doesn't. At some point, we're going to reach the end of the page. And in the end, he's going to highlight the fact, oh, look, I can be reasonable. Look, I'm dealing with all of these famous people. And that's all he cares about is that Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese know his name. Yeah, these classic movies, most of which come from the Warner Brothers catalog, a lot of which Warner Brothers acquired from MGM some decades ago, just are not big money makers for Warner Brothers Discovery. And when the company is somewhere in the of $49 billion in debt, they need to make money somehow. Budget cuts is just the first phase. I think we can expect that eventually there will be some kind of classic movie fast channel that Warner Brothers will start licensing out to other streamers. So at some point you'll run Roku Channel or Pluto TV, and you'll be able to pull up what amounts to TCM, but as a fast channel that these streaming services license from Warner Brothers in a uncurated fashion, because that's what was important about TCM. It wasn't just, here's one black and white movie, now here's another black and white movie. There was always that curation, the hosts that came on and told you the relevance of the movie and the history of the actors and and filmmakers, and a lot of that's going to get lost in the and in the shuffle. Meanwhile, streaming services continue to purge content. Paramount Plus, which just launched their merged service with Showtime and increased the price of their lowest tier, has pulled even more shows, including Inside Amy Schumer. And Hulu is pulling the recently canceled ABC shows Alaska Daily and The Company You Keep from their platform, as well as a number of licensed shows such as Angie Tribeca, Blindspot, and The Last Ship. Yeah, do you remember when I said that I was about 
an hour into the Paramount Plus movie fantasy football. I, I guess I'm never going to finish watching that because I looked the moment they announced it and it was already gone. Seriously, within minutes of their saying, hey, we're getting rid of this, it was just gone. There's kind of a fascinating business perspective in that we're seeing apparently these deals for licensed content, either they're outs or the instant the contract ends, they're just not being renewed. And I don't know which one of them is yet. I'm sure that data will come out later, but this is a fascinating turn of events. And Raul, I know that you had a really funny Paramount Plus renewal story, didn't you? That's right. I received the email from Paramount Plus this week telling me that the tier I was subscribed to was now becoming Paramount Plus with Showtime. So hooray, I now have Paramount Plus with Showtime. I guess I'm finally going to get to see everything everywhere all at once because the only streaming service that movie has been on this whole time has been the Showtime Plus. That what it's called? The Showtime whatever it's called, streaming service. And now I have access to it. And that same day, the news broke that Paramount Plus was yanking shows. And not only Paramount Plus, Showtime as well was yanking a number of shows from their platform. So they give with one hand and they take away with the other. But realistically, I mean, it makes sense to yank some of these shows if you're paying for them and they're underperforming, right? Yeah, this is pretty much par for the course for licensed content. To a certain degree, this is the bane of Tim's existence, where every week we go through the ratings and we find out why is this random show or movie suddenly on the ratings. And that's because it's been picked up by Netflix. Netflix has tons of licensed content that comes and goes depending on the license. Angie Tribeca and The Last Ship were produced by Warner Brothers Discovery Studios. So now they'll presumably be shopped around or maybe they'll come back home to Max. Blindspot, which aired on NBC, was also produced by Warner Brothers Discovery. So that probably falls into the same domain. It's a licensing nightmare. Yeah, what we're learning is that the one standing business model for shared content creation, the one where networks would add shows to their lineups and thereby give them eyeballs, it just doesn't translate well to streaming. I do think it's important to reiterate the problem with streamers dumping shows from their own studios. We're not seeing a lot of that this week. We're seeing certain degrees of that. Inside Amy Schumer, I believe, was produced by Paramount. And the fact that it's being removed from Paramount is a problem. The appeal of a streaming service from a particular studio is that this is where you can expect to find everything produced by that studio. I'll grant you that people don't necessarily know what studio produces what show or movie. Indeed, I think Inside Amy Schumer is produced by Paramount, but trying to untangle that sometimes can be very confusing. Right. I mean, all of us on this podcast spend a significant portion of time whenever this news comes up trying to figure out what is the original studio for something, and it's almost always a co-production, isn't it? Yeah, that makes things very complicated. But look, the appeal of something like Disney Plus is that this is where you see Disney movies, Marvel movies, Star Wars movies. It's the pitch for that streaming service. If you have to go hunting on other streaming services for a show or movie that you expected to find on that studio streaming service, the pitch has failed and you may end up canceling your subscription to that service. So the core of that company's catalog must remain consistent. If a streamer wants to hold on to something on a non-exclusive basis while also licensing it out to others, that can certainly be a win-win. We're seeing in the ratings more and more shows and movies that 
appear on two or three different streaming services. But when it's not on the studio's own streaming service anymore, then why subscribe to them? Why even have a streaming service? Sony here is an example of a studio that doesn't have their own streaming service. They produce Hotel Transylvania, let's say. Let's say it's Halloween and you want to watch that movie with your kids. If Sony had a streaming service, you would expect that you would be able to pull up Sony streaming and watch Hotel Transylvania. But they don't have that. And so if you want to watch that movie, you have to look around. Is it on Peacock? Is it on Max? Is it on Netflix? Is it on any streaming service? And then it's like, am I subscribed to that streaming service? Can I watch that movie? In the end, you may end up not watching it at all because you can't find it or you're not subscribed to the right streaming service. Yeah, and I think we should emphasize one part of this above the rest. And that's we've famously recounted how Bob Iger woke up one morning and had the epiphany. We are selling arms to the competition when Disney licenses a show to Netflix. That was his belief in 2016 that drove the creation of Disney Plus in 2019. It has been an ongoing philosophy. You might even call it a mission statement or a mandate from Iger. Recently, we've seen Iger reevaluate this, and I cannot stress how important that is as much as I hate giving David Zaslav credit for anything. He found a strategy with the HBO content that I think we're going to see become the process moving forward. And that is, if a company like Netflix will agree to a non-exclusive contract for content, why wouldn't you continue to air it on Disney Plus or on Max and let Netflix air it as well? Let people decide where they want to see it. As long as you are getting more money from the license than you are potentially losing from churn, that's a win. And as a reminder, churn is the important metric. I mean, the seminal metric of how many people actually cancel a service. And what we've learned in recent years is Disney Plus's churn ratio is exceptional. Some of the smaller services like Paramount Plus and some of the services that underperform like Max aren't doing well with churn, which means it makes more sense for Disney, at least in my opinion, to do this than it does for Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, but I think right there, what's happening is that a case is being made for the arms dealer approach, the Sony approach. License your content out to the highest bidder. Ultimately, if your content is going to be available on a non-exclusive basis on somebody else's platform from time to time, it really undermines the appeal of your streaming service. No other streaming services like Netflix where somebody just fires up Netflix first and then decides what to watch. And if you're not going to be like Netflix, then maybe you should not be having a streaming service. Maybe you should just be licensing stuff out. That's what Sony has realized. Well, there's a danger in that, and I think we should stress the danger of it. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this. I actually was watching the Sony Bravia channel on my television, which is basically a streaming service of just Sony content, but it's aired in an extremely high-quality format, so it's lovely to watch. We have forgotten how much Sony struggled when its Spider-Man films weren't doing well. During the Andrew Garfield era of Spider-Man, if you look at what Sony was doing as a business, I don't think people would have wanted those products. Now that Spider-Man is hot again, the story changes. But at that point in time, if they had been working as a hired gun, nobody would have required their services. They would have been overpriced and underachieving, which 
which is exactly what we're talking about with this content that Disney has recently removed from its services, which Paramount has removed from its services. We are now in an extreme meritocracy where the shows that sell are going to stay. The ones that don't, they're going to have little to no value whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it might be like overpriced NBA contracts right now where it might actually have negative value. So we're all reevaluating this. Absolutely. I think Sony is an example of a studio that is just one or two bombs away from being in a lot of trouble. They lean heavily into their Spider-Man and now Spider-Man spinoff content. So we've seen, of course, the Venom movies and we saw the Morbius movie, which didn't do well. And then Sony had to hope that their next release did do well because of how poorly Morbius performed. If you have a streaming service, you have some kind of constant revenue. Month after month, people are paying you regularly to subscribe to your streaming service. So that helps sustain the company through good times and bad. As a studio that relies very heavily on a couple of blockbusters every year, if Sony just has a bad spell, it could be very bad news for a studio. So what we might be in the beginning stages of here is just going full circle. There used to be just Netflix and everyone was licensed out their content. Then the big studios were like, wait, look how much money Netflix is making. We should make our own streaming service with our shows and hookers and blackjack. And now if you're not Disney Plus, you're probably not doing too well with your own streaming service, largely thanks to consumer backlash because now people are like, wait a minute, I used to just have to subscribe to Netflix. Now, if I want to watch everything, I need to have like five different streaming subscriptions. What the heck? So now we're going to start seeing content leaving services, possibly then going to Netflix. And maybe the end game here in the next couple of years is just going back to licensing out your content to the survivors, whoever that happens to be. Absolutely, Tim. We've been hearing for some time that there's just too many streaming services and that there's going to have to be consolidation. It's why we are seeing studios buy each other out, essentially to get access to that library of content in order for that studio to pad or supplement their own streaming library. Long term, it's going to have to play out so that there's only two or three streaming services. No one thinks that it makes sense to have to subscribe to six or seven or eight streaming services. And so it's a matter of whether the smaller ones are going to just license out their entire catalog to somebody else, license it out bit by bit to multiple different people, or if they're just going to get bought out. Because in the end, a company like Netflix that is swimming in money is going to look at something like AMC Networks and say, well, we can license this show, that show, and that show together for this much for the next three or four years. Or you know what? We can just buy the whole company. And that's that's where a lot of this thinking is going. Yeah, I think we're all targeting 2024 as the year of consolidation, as nothing can happen with Warner Brothers Discovery until then, at least not theoretically. There are all kinds of rumors that they're under the table negotiations already occur. But with what we have currently, it might not be the easiest thing in the world to escape antitrust regulations with such mergers anyway. So there's a lot in play here, but we're still targeting that date. The flip side, Raul, I do want to disagree with one thing because you kind of said one thing and then the other was what was in my head. You're saying you think there's only going to be two or three streaming services. I don't think that's going to be true long term. I think that might be true after consolidation in 2024 and it might be true for 
for a while. But then we're eventually going to see services show up with just a small amount of really strong content, the Apple TV Plus Play. And we've seen that with cable as well. There was a time where USA Network was the best channel for content, just as there was a time where AMC seemingly came out of nowhere. I mean, it was American classic movies was what the theme was supposed to be. And then it became a juggernaut for dramatic television. There is always that opportunity for somebody new who evokes quality with everything they do. And that's kind of where I'm at with streaming services. I expect the same patterns we've seen with cable television to replicate into this new medium. So my issue isn't with what you said in as much as the timeline. Long term, I don't think we're only going to see two or three services. Short term, yes. Medium term, maybe. Paramount Plus wasn't the only streaming service making changes to their subscription plans this week. Netflix has reportedly scrapped their basic ad-free plan in Canada. This isn't really a surprise, as early reports in the U.S. suggested that Netflix's ad-supported tier was more profitable to the streamer than even their higher price plan. I imagine it's not going to be long before Netflix scraps their lowest tier in the U.S. as well. Yeah, we saw this coming a mile away. This is the reinvention of television in a new medium. Just we should accept the fact that we're going to have ad-based streaming services as the primary brand at some point in the future. Okay, Tim, before we move on to the ratings, let's go over the box office. All right, so last weekend was pretty good. We had Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse lead the way with 19 million in its fourth weekend, actually. Elemental, despite the narrative, still doing very well, 18.4 million for its second weekend. And it's certainly well on its way to 100 million. Yeah, it'll cross 100 million by the end of the holiday week. What people wanted to say about it isn't quite accurate. It is not going to make as much as Lightyear, but I'm not actually worried about that part because Lightyear had the Toy Story brand behind it and one of the most recognized characters in the entire Pixar library. Elemental is doing fine. Nobody wants to say that for whatever reason because of the budget, (laughs) but we have to remember, I could do a deep dive on this because Tim, you know, I I went hard on box office the other day just because I wanted to catch up on the past six months and what's been happening. It's grim. It It is scarier than anyone could possibly imagine out there right now. First half of the year is an unmitigated disaster. There's just no escaping that. So picking on any one studio for this misses the point. These budgets are as high as they are because they were all pandemic delayed and everyone had to develop new ways of creating films and it costs more money when you do that, period. In terms of audience reception and all these other things, Elemental has done quite well. Tim, do we think the same is true of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Yeah, I was about to get there as we looked at this weekend and we're recording on Saturday. So yeah, Indiana Jones, Dial of Destiny has arrived on Friday and 24 million with 7.2 million of that attributed to Thursday. But then when you look at the cinema score, it came in with, what was that? Did I see a B plus? Yes, it's a B plus, which is higher than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but still still very average. Yeah. Cinema scores are very extreme. So anything that's not A, A minus, A plus, um, audiences tended to not really care for. Uh, so yeah, that may not bode well for its long longevity. It's just weird that it's 2023 and we're talking about an Indiana Jones movie, first of all. So that's still kind of weird to me. Uh, with but, Harrison Ford. Yeah. Yes. Yes. With Harrison Ford. Right. Exactly. Imagine if he wasn't in it. But yeah, this is kind of one of the examples of despite the big wins, you know, you had Super Mario Brothers movie you know, almost makes a 
600 million. Guardians of the Galaxy across 350. Little Mermaid's going to fall just short of 300 million. Across the Spider-Verse is going to do almost 400 million. Despite those big wins, it's very top heavy. And after that, it's not good news. There's concerns again about box office. Uh, and then you had something else this weekend that I was not aware of until about three minutes ago called Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, earning 2.3 million on Friday in 3,400 theaters. That will not get anywhere near the attention of Disney's elemental struggles, but this is a debacle. And by the way, that's a really cute trailer, so that's really disappointing to me. Yeah, so I'm a little worried now that we're flipping the calendar to July and box office is kind of like, yeah, we're we're, we're here. It's not great, but we're here. That's not how it used to be. That's going to be the next two, three years as well, unless something gets settled with the various strikes happening right now. We should go ahead and mention that at the time of publication, the Screen Actors Guild did not go on strike at the start of July 1st, as everyone expected. Honestly, I'm not surprised by this. There were reports surfacing early in last week that everyone would agree to punt this down the line until after the July 4th holiday. That's exactly what's happened. The new deadline is July 12th. So in the July 10th, July 11th range, that's when we're going to find out whether or not Hollywood shuts down. You know what movie's coming out July 12th? Tell me. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I think that explains a couple of things. First of all, yeah, box office may not be great right now, but Tom Cruise will save us all. And also, hey, the next strike deadline, pretty much the day the new Mission Impossible movie comes out. I wonder who had an influence there. (laughs) You're saying Scientology (laughs) still controls everything? (laughs) I'm not as cynical as to suggest that, but if the actors were to go on strike, that pretty much puts an end to any marketing for any movie. Actors who are on strike cannot do promotion for a movie. They cannot do interviews. They cannot go on TV. They cannot do red carpets. And hey, next strike deadline, the same day that the next huge blockbuster is slated to come out. The other thing I want to throw in about this that it just blows my mind, the difference between the one and two films is bigger than the difference from the number five to the number 35 film in terms of domestic box office right now. I did a calculation examining the top 20 releases thus far this year, and I decided 10 of them are clear winners. We have had 10 clear winners in six months of box office. It is just so depressing because we came from an era where we all did box office discussion and there was just hit after hit after hit. And now everybody was saying last year that Top Gun Maverick saved box office. No, it saved box office for the studios in the short term for one very specific situation. We have had a handful of other films like that, but overall the state of box office in North America is a debacle. And it's funny you brought it up, bro, because while I expect Dead Reckoning Part 1 to do pretty great, at least opening weekend, I did see some initial concerns that it's not on the level of the last couple. Maybe since it is a part one of two, they are just setting up the fireworks factory for the next one next year. But that's a little worrisome that they might have taken a drop off in quality. But we'll see when the full reviews come out. But I did see some rumblings online earlier. And to be fair, when we talk about Mission Impossible 3, Ghost Protocol, and Rogue Nation, we're talking about quite possibly, and I would actually argue that it is, the best three consecutive films from a franchise in the history of cinema. So a drop-off in quality from there shouldn't surprise anyone because it's such a big ask. If you are not an absolute 10 out of 10 film, you're not as good as the last ones. 
That's certainly fair because they, they were pretty outstanding. All right. So we've very box office. Should we then uh, move on to burying some ratings? <laughs> Let's go. Ted Lasso, baby. Yeah, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, May 29th to Sunday, June 4th, 2023. Kind of a meh week overall, but yeah, a couple interesting things. The first is we are once again led by FUBAR as the top original series. 1.7 billion minutes for its eight episode season for the full week of its availability. So not surprised this is a, this is a big hit and they, they've already renewed it for a second season. I am dead serious that streaming services are going to view Schwarzenegger and Stallone as two of their most reliable talents for the next few years. Let's just bring back all the old guys for new streaming shows. People you never thought would do TV series will now do shows for streaming services. <laughs> they'll all get just thrown large trucks of money at them to make these shows and uh, they'll be either pretty good or probably pretty bad. He has specifically said he will never do it, but... Tom Cruise, if he did a show like this, or Eddie Murphy, if he did a show like this. Oh, wow. Yeah. It would blow your mind. Yep, absolutely. We had Harrison Ford do a show. He's bright. <laughs> so there's no one's off limits at this point. Yeah. So and by the way, Harrison Ford's Paramount Network series is absolutely destroying the ratings this summer, even though it's been on Paramount Plus for a while. Let's be clear. Harrison Ford has done two series. His other one's on Apple TV+. Plus. That's how much I know about Apple TV+, Plus outside of the show that's in second, as we bid a fond farewell to Ted Lasso. The final episode of the series arrived during this ratings week, but for the first time ever, it cracks a billion minutes. 1.2 billion. Yay. For 34 episodes. Yeah. Combination of it being the finale. So people definitely binged it. And the eight hour running time of most of the episodes in this season definitely contributed to these to these numbers. But yeah, I said it was going to crack a billion. I 1.2 is way more than I expected. And yeah, the only thing keeping out of the top, as we also said a couple of weeks ago, was going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I pictured Netflix being so petty as to think, all right, this is the week. The last Ted Lasso episode airs. So what are we going to do to stop that from being number one on Nielsen? Right. Let's call in the big guns. <laughs> yeah, this this is by far the biggest number we've ever seen for Apple TV. We've only ever seen them have two two shows, one, well, one show and one movie. Uh, but yeah, this this is this is it. So there'll be a decline from here and then you know maybe one, one or two more weeks and then we may never see an Apple TV Plus show again, but they somehow keep renewing them. So they must be happy with, with their numbers internally, or maybe they're just hoping something will catch fire. I think we're far enough along that we can acknowledge the fact that not only have we not seen our final Apple TV Plus series, Ted Lasso is not going to get one spinoff. It's probably going to get like four or five, maybe even six. We mm -hmm. have created a Ted Lasso universe now. Oh, yeah. So they're going to keep mining that. Without really giving anything away, they they did certainly leave the door open for the show to continue without him. So, you know, will that happen? Will they just... And with him, Tim. Will they, will they, will they make a movie? Who knows? But yeah, there's there's certainly the possibility for spinoffs. I mean, I, I feel like, though, you say with him, but I feel like his story has been told. We do have a returning show in third, and welcome back to Manifest. Uh, 749 million minutes viewed for 62 total episodes. The second half of the fourth and final season arrived on June 2nd. We once saw this show on the acquired chart, but then you know Netflix revived it, made new episodes, and now it gets to count as an original. 
And folks, if you ever have some time and you want to do something fun, don't watch the final batch of episodes. Instead, Google recaps of what happened in that final episode. It will just melt your mind. It really will. At one point, lava manifests a functional plane. That's a real (laughs) thing that happens. And it's not even like one of the three craziest things in the finale. It was I've never seen an episode of Manifest other than skimming through this one, and it was phenomenally dumb. Yeah, I imagine it just went completely off the rails just because they're like, ah, let's just go for it, whatever. I've never watched an episode of this. I think I've mentioned this before. The one thing I know is in the very first episode where they're they're on the plane, they experience turbulence, and they have to make an emergency landing, and then it's, you know, several years later. They land at the airport I live about 10 minutes from. Well, I've got good news for you, Tim. That happens again in the finale. Oh, good. Okay. I I have to read the descriptions of the the final season then. Oh boy. But yeah, it's back. It crushed it so hard on Acquired a year or two ago that Netflix said, hey, NBC, you're dumb. We're going to renew this show and make one more season. And yeah, it paid off pretty well for them. For the show we saw arrive last week, Barbecue Showdown, second season of that reality competition, 593 million minutes. Uh, Sliding down the list, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel in fifth from Prime Video. Again, that, that show also complete after five seasons, 449 million minutes. Previous top show, Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story from Netflix, 392 million minutes in six with six episodes. Something new, and uh, I guess the notable thing here is it's from Prime Video, but otherwise it's pretty terrible. Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets, 380 million minutes for the four-episode docuseries. These people can go away. Stop giving them attention. I appreciate the existence of the show because it really exposes all the dirt and really the conspiracy behind the Duggars and what they were up to. Yeah, I know it's not it's not showing them in a positive light, but yeah, I just I it's better to just ignore them. But yeah, I, I mean, I get your point, but uh, I this this shouldn't exist. Back to Netflix for eight selling sunset. We saw that arrive last week with a new season, three hundred sixty-seven million minutes for fifty-six total episodes. Uh, something new on ninth, and we did sort of miss this one, but not quite. Fake profile, ten episodes, three hundred sixty-six million minutes. What the heck is this role? It's a Colombian, so Spanish language series that seems to have a plot very similar to you. It's a woman who meets with a man online after having evidently seen his profile, but as it turns out, he's not who he seems to be. Yeah, I was worried for a, a minute that this was just another like dating reality show where it's, you know, as it says, the fake profiles. But no, it's it's, it's a dramatic series. It's in a, in a foreign language. So we didn't really cover it on what's new. But, you know, Spanish is definitely a very, the second, obviously the second most popular language on for Netflix content. So yeah, here it is for 10 episodes. And then we wrap up originals with The Ultimatum Queer Love, 336 million minutes for eight total episodes. Uh, this is the second season of this reality show. They staggered the release, similar to what they do with some of their other dating shows. So we actually may see it again next week because the finale two episodes will arrive on June 7th. So they'll be counted on now on next week's ratings. Movies, unfortunately, is led by something we saw return last week. The Boss Baby, 537 million minutes. <sighs> Just because it returned yeah. to Netflix and people watched it. It will never go away. No, it will, it will never go away. It is always funny watching you know stupid kids movies just return to netflix and make these ratings and by the way if we ever see the oogie loves i quit me too that's it the end no more ratings ever okay. again yeah yeah the podcast will, will will just be over because that that's the the epitome of stupid but 
hopefully we don't have to ever have to worry about that. In second, uh, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves from Paramount Plus, 350 million minutes. So yeah, we're it's it's a very light week and probably will be for the next couple of weeks. So we get Extraction 2, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's that's in second. So that's good to see from Paramount Plus. Third, back to Netflix was the top movie last week, Missing, 334 million minutes. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania from Disney Plus in fourth. Uh, the position is up, but the, the number is not, 302 million minutes. Uh, Netflix is A Man Called Otto, fifth, 292 million minutes. The Mother, a previous top movie, 276 million minutes. Uh, something new to Leslie, 274 million minutes. This arrived on June 1st, and I had forgotten to looking this up. This received a very controversial Oscar nomination for Best Actress. Yes, that was the controversial nomination of Andrea Riseborough. A lot of people felt that that should have gone to someone who'd been in a film like, say, The Woman King. However, she is very well liked and the performance is really, really renowned. But she still spent most of her award season playing defense almost apologetically for this nomination. Yeah, so at least it's a new uh, arrival to, to Netflix since a new movie that was in the theatrical release from last year. So, yep, it's then it's a, a light week for movies. So, yep, here it is. Uh, in eighth, We're the Millers, 258 million minutes. And no, this is not because people wanted more Jason Sudeikis after finishing Ted Lasso or they wanted more Will Poulter, who was in <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 3. It's because it came back to Netflix on June 1st. Air from Prime Video is in 9th, 246 million minutes. And we wrap up movies with Shazam, Fury of the Gods from Max, 237 million minutes. Ouch. So bad news at the theatrical box office, bad news on the movie charts. This is just bad news for long form video content as a whole. Exactly. We're starting to develop a TikTok culture. This is a natural evolution of that fact. And it's something I've been screaming about from the rafters pretty much since the invention of YouTube. This is the way we have trained people <laughs> to consume content. The funny thing about We're the Millers is that it might not have anything to do with two of those people, but there's somebody else you didn't mention. This is a Jennifer Aniston film. And oh, by the way, she had just had another murder mystery with Adam Sandler and was probably hot. And this was probably a record recommendation after that film ended yeah murder mystery 2 was was a few weeks back but yeah i can see it but again it's it is that just that netflix thing where it's new on the service or it came back to the service so they treat it as a brand new content and it gets recommended yep i'm sure if you did watch murder mystery 2 at this point it did, it did appear as a recommendation just because of jennifer aniston so three different actors in the film all hot at the same time <laughs> random <laughs> No regrets. To your point that we were talking about, it's like something I had seen the other day or a tweet. It's not a new tweet, but basically it's like streaming service. Do you want to watch a two hour movie? And like, no. How about a 10 episode series that takes eight hours to watch? And it's like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> so yeah, we've we've somehow just, we'll, we'll binge a series, but we won't watch a movie. I don't quite get it. Acquired is 10 shows we've seen before. Once again, led by SWAT, another 1.4 billion minutes because people can't get enough of this show. It's still a new show. I mean, I'm, the most recent season is not on streaming yet, or at least not on Netflix. It could be on Paramount Plus. I imagine that's that's where it is. And, and Hulu, because those tend to get the newer shows. But the reason it's here is because of Netflix. Uh, but other than that, it's a bunch of shows we've seen before. All American, right behind it in second, 922 million minutes. La Reina del Sur drops to 10th. We saw that arrive last week, 494 million minutes. And, and I guess one more uh, mention no succession 607 million minutes as that, as that also concluded during this ratings week yeah that succession never really popped with the finale it over the last four weeks it inched its way up from 500 mm -hmm. million all the way up to 600 million <laughs> This was a very, I don't know, I saw more mentions of this online than the ratings would indicate. 
maybe that's just how I've cultivated my my social media for mm-hmm. or at least Although Twitter. People but... can, yeah, people can watch it on HBO proper mm-hmm. as well. So it could yeah, be if watch, bad if they watch it there. Yeah, it, it does obviously doesn't count on these on these Nielsen ratings. But yeah, I, I was curious how it definitely was a su- successful show and had people talking, but it, it didn't really reflect on the on these ratings. But yeah, other than that, it's kind of a mad week. Like, you know, that's a good number for FUBAR. I'm happy Ted Lasso crossed a billion in its final week, but movies is pretty depressing. And yeah, I think we'll be for a couple more weeks till we see Extraction 2. And I'm not looking forward to the next couple of weeks to see where we where we land here. All right. Thanks for that, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Max announced that the last episode of season three of The Other Two, which aired this week, was actually the finale of the series. But don't mistake the last episode of The Idol, being episode five, not episode six, as being the last episode of that series. They are so totally invested in that series and are totally going to do a second season. <sighs> They're not. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, okay, for, first of all, wait, This so this show, the other two, which I had only heard of fairly recently till when the most recent season premiered, uh, has been around for a couple seasons. And then they just, they realized, oh, by the way, this is the end. And no one knew. <laughs> Yes. Until until basically it aired. And yeah, the the idol was only five episodes long and people claimed, oh, it was it was supposed to be six. I don't know how people knew that. But yeah, this is a combination of the show sucking and uh, Max kind of cutting their losses. Yes, they actually commissioned seven episodes and then they had so many problems behind the scenes. They can only film six. And that was after recasting, refilming and all kinds of other stuff. And now they've only managed to find five episodes worth of content among the seven episodes they paid for. This is legitimately one of the biggest disaster projects in HBO history. No joke. I love how they've rolled out the cast of the idol to say things like HBO is really happy with this show. Um, yeah sure they are (laughs) how come everything that david zaslav firmly went all in on has performed horribly or been really bad he is the black thumb of entertainment (laughs) (laughs) as with the other two on max it was revealed that reservation dogs on hulu would end with season three at least they're telling us before the season starts Yeah, and it sounds like the creators are saying that they've wrapped it up. It does not sound like this was surprising to them, and it has come to a natural end. That's actually how you know the other two's people are lying, is because this is what it looks like when it's done real, versus what it looks like when somebody says, you're canceled, pretend like it's yours. (laughs) (laughs) Over on Peacock, Pete Davidson's pseudo-autobiographical comedy, Bupkiss, has been picked up for a second season. That, uh... That renewal threshold on Peacock, uh, not very high. Yeah. And Uber producer Roland Emmerich has been greenlit straight to series with his gladiatorial drama, Those About to Die. I assume it'll be incredibly violent, have a lot of action, and probably copious amounts of nudity. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair guess. Amazon's Prime Video is teaming with Bloomhouse TV to produce the undead bounty hunter series, The Bondsman, with Kevin Bacon set to star. I guess R.I.P.D. was already taken. <laughs> but it's Bloomhouse, so it'll be fine. Paramount Plus has renewed School Spirits, starring Peyton List for a second season about teens who haunt the school where they were murdered. This one looked really clever, very well done. So I'm I'm glad for this cast and crew. I'm 
surprised, honestly, that it got renewed, but good for them. And finally, MGM is showing confidence in their totally not a lost knockoff series from renewing it for a third season. This one's really finally starting to get some attention. Season it is. One. Yeah, season one just never really clicked anywhere, but season two seems to have done pretty well for itself. Or, you know, maybe here's a streaming service that's finally investing some money in marketing their content. What? Yeah. um, I mean, three seasons is not bad for something on MGM+. Plus. There's not a lot of shows that go that long. Okay. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. David and I did get to go see Indiana Jones this week. I thought Dial of Destiny was delightful, personally. It's exactly what I would like to see in an Indiana Jones movie. It was just pure adventure and fun. And Harrison Ford is terrific. Phoebe Waller-Bridges is terrific. If you like Indiana Jones, I think you will like this film. That's all I'll say. Raul, how about you? With the deluge of new programming slowing to a trickle, I continue to catch up on the shows I've been meaning to watch for a long time. As I mentioned last week on the Star Trek front, I did get around to wrapping up the latest season of Star Trek Discovery. Sometimes obligations are challenging, like when you're a Star Trek fan and you have to watch this garbage. I did not like this season. On the other hand, the second and third episodes of the latest season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds have been spectacular. Episode two was an excellent courtroom drama, while episode three was a fan service episode from start to finish. If you're not watching Strange New Worlds, you need to pick it up. You can pick it up with this season. It's just a whole lot of entertainment. It's a lot of fun and honestly doesn't make you feel bad about yourself like Star Trek Discovery does. I also spent some time this week watching The Muppets Mayhem on Disney+. Plus. This 10-episode series focused on the Muppets house band, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, was everything you'd expect from a Muppets series, from the cheesy jokes to the obscene volume of celebrity cameos to the contemporary references that will surely age terribly. There's one sequence where Ben Schwartz, working at an employment agency, tries to help Animal get a job, which is fall out of your seat funny. But it's the episode that parodies the Beatles documentary Get Back that may be a TV episode for the ages. All episodes are on Disney Plus right now, and I highly recommend you watch. The Muppets Mayhem. Okay, Tim, I bet I know what you're going to talk about. So last weekend was the AEW slash New Japan pay-per-view Forbidden Door, their second one uh, after it started last year. And yeah, just an absolutely great show all around. But I just want to talk about one specific thing. And it was quite possibly the best match to take place in freaking North American history. Mm-hmm. And that was Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega. It just was like, so, so, oh my God. so good. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, unlike most things in AEW, they they absolutely earned the the blood in this match because it is a blood feud going back to both of their their times in in New Japan. They actually had their first match in in Wrestle Kingdom in January, which which Omega won. Basically, this story is uh, after Kenny Omega was champion in New Japan, and then he lost the title, and then not long after that, actually left because that's when AEW sort of began. Osprey basically said, "I I held down where you couldn't." 
and you know it's kind of just kind of a war of words from there and now they've they finally had matches now even though they're technically different promotions but there's an agreement now between the, the two companies and yeah this is this was the payoff just i'll even forgive the the part where where don Callis, who was thrown out of the match earlier came back and then the weapon got involved but the whole thing worked just because there was so much story behind this match and just absolutely brutal just phenomenal find a way to watch this match if you can oh my god uh just kenny please stop taking the tiger driver 91 where you you're landing on your head completely unprotected. Please stop that because we, we like you. But oh my God, just this one of the greatest matches you'll you'll ever witness. Yes. Some of us don't just like him. We love him. <laughs> yes. He's, he's my he's, favorite. Yes. And, <laughs> and considered a very, very good person too. But yeah, stop taking those bumps on the head because... <laughs> Because <laughs> that's a little ridiculous, but but yeah, just wow. And then you know we would have had another great match with uh, at that main evented, which which was Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada, which unfortunately went a bit off the rails because. During the match, um, Danielson broke his arm and somehow yet finished the match. But yeah, it made the ending a little awkward. But yeah, it's it, it ruined what otherwise was going to be uh, an epic match. That, even though there was no way they could follow what just ha- what had just happened. But yeah, yeah, that was that was that was great. Hopefully, he gets better and they're going to run that back when he's healthy again because because that we need a proper ending to uh, t- to that just to determine like who is the best in the world. Even though it's probably one of Osprey or Omega. But yeah, that that Forbidden Door pay per view was very 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 good. Okay, David, how about you? So I'll just add to what Tim said. I think, and this might be a first on the podcast, I was more bothered by the Don Callis thing than Tim was. That was stupid, and it didn't belong in a match that was otherwise quite possibly. I really think it's the best two individual performances I've ever seen in a match. There are clips shown of comparisons between their January match and this one where you can see how they use spots from the first match to set up spots in the second match. It's a masterpiece through and through. The Tiger Driver 91, if you all want to Google it, it is the most violent looking thing on the planet and I don't think Osprey did that the way he was supposed to or if he did, it didn't work quite right and Kenny landed straight on his head and you don't want to see that but I understand the why of it and it has something to do with the fact that there was someone named Masawa who was the most heralded performer of all time according to one wrestling journalist. Yes, there are such things as wrestling journalists. <laughs> this was the match where both Osprey and Omega technically earned a claim to become that because Osprey has the most five-star matches ever on a five-point scale and somehow because it's ludicrous. Kenny has the most six-star matches in history, and they both knew they were going to break those records, so they went ahead and did a spot to honor Masawa, and it was terrifying. It absolutely was terrifying. And as for Daniel Bryan, when we're talking about him, and I will synonymously say Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, because it's the same person, he, after he broke his arm, did a move called the Rainmaker, and the Rainmaker involves... The other performer, Okada, grabbing him by the wrist of his broken arm and pulling on it. And then he instinctively runs the ring ropes where he grabs the rope at motion with momentum with a broken arm. Those two things happen within 75 seconds of his arm breaking. I've never seen anything like it. It was insane and i know part of it was adrenaline but i cannot imagine the pain tolerance level he has and i was once in a hospital for 10 days where they described me as the guy who likes pain so daniel bryan blows my mind the other thing i do want to talk about indiana jones and the dial of destiny tells the perfect encapsulated story 
for the character. And I think that what we're witnessing is that that type of storytelling has been mimicked so often, it's no longer original to younger audiences. And so what I'm seeing when I look at the post-track scores, which are the exit theater scores of how audiences like films, it is obvious that the older you are, the more likely you are to love this film. And it makes sense because it is a classic Indiana Jones film that finishes the story exactly where it should end. I don't think the under 40 crowd is going to do enough to sustain its box office. And I also think that it will ultimately be remembered as a box office disappointment, possibly even a, a bomb. We'll see. But in terms of quality, they can't help the fact that there was a pandemic and that it boosted the production cost by 50 million. That was out of their control. What they could do was make a perfect film. I wouldn't say they've done that, but I graded it an 8.5 out of 10, and I strongly suspect that I will like it more after repeat viewing because uh, Kim will acknowledge we had a debate on the car ride home about what actually happens at the end of the film. I know that's surprising for an Indiana Jones movie, but Kim, there's a lot of leeway there, and the story might be even better than we'd originally guessed. Isn't that right? Yes, there's definitely some things that are open to interpretation. And then I do want to give special notice to an actor Kim really likes he plays the Corinthian in Sandman. And as near as I can tell, this guy's entire purpose is just to kill. And that sounds ridiculous, but he is having so much fun as just an agent of mayhem that something absolutely impossible, just totally incomprehensible happens to him. He doesn't care. He just keeps on acting exactly the same way. It doesn't matter to him who he's facing. He's just going to be who he is, which is a guy who likes to fire guns at people. It's amazing. I was really pleased with this film, and I am going to remember the fact that for all the criticism Disney took of its early summer releases, The Little Mermaid, Elemental, and Doll of Destiny are three very solid films. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. And thank you to all our new Patreon subscribers. They help to make this podcast possible every week. If you'd like to join them, you can sign up at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 